Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. There are many things in Scripture, as you read and study the Word of God, that seem to be somewhat insignificant. But as you look into them, you find out that God often uses things that are small in mighty ways, and many of those things that we thought were just small are often just really underestimated. Just this past week, we were given an instance on a theme of messages about small things. And we would note in scriptures, I think it's Zechariah 4 and verse 10, he talks about despising not the day of small things. And in that, we would note that throughout the scriptures, there's been so many times that God used insignificant people, at least by their estimation, like Gideon, or he used insignificant things. And you might not think flies to be very significant, but they were one of the plagues upon which God sent to Egypt. And in that time, they were very significant. The same could be said of so many different things like flea, uh, fleas or frogs or any of those tiny things which God used in a manifest mighty way. He even used hornets to drive out the Canaanites out of the land of Egypt. These were some small things that God used in a wonderful plague, not uh, in a wonderful way, not just the ten plagues, but even in his miracles, the five loaves and two fishes, the scarlet thread. And so there are many things that are small that God uses. There are some things that he used in, par- in parables, in particular in the Gospel of Luke, uh, that seemingly were by human eye not very valuable, but God, using this illustration, gave a very large understanding of it. I think of Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, you have three, with the exception of one, two of the three are very seemingly insignificant things, but God in these parables uses them in great ways. For instance, there is the lost uh, sheep. The, there were a hundred in the fold, and one had walked away, left away, straight away, and there are now 99, but the shepherd saw great value, and what does he do? He goes and finds that lost sheep, brings it unto restoration unto himself. It's a parable of the lost sheep. You might look at that and say, well, that's not very important. One sheep, why didn't he just stay with the 99? They were in the fold. Why did he risk and hazard so much just for that loss? And the parable that is conveying the earthly truth is that's God's expression for his creation. He so values his creation. Uh, I think of what Peter writes, that he would have all men come to the knowledge of salvation. And later in that chapter, the 15th chapter of Luke, you've got the lost coin. I don't think that it was just any lost coin, but it was a coin that was lost. It likely, perhaps, could have been uh, part of a marriage dowry that was given. Uh, We know that it was about value of one day's labor. Uh, Sometimes when we read the word penny in the New Testament, we think of that semi-copper piece that we have in our pocket, say, what's the big deal about a penny? Uh, But the penny in biblical times was one day's labor. That's what it was. Now you think about what one day's labor is today. And if it was, in fact, a piece of dowry that was in those days given, it had not only physical value, but it had sentimental value. And yet, having been lost in this home, uh, the lady that did keep that house tore it asunder, swept every crack and looked in every nook until at last she had found what she had lost. And there again is another biblical illustration. It would seem insignificant. It's just a coin. But God had great desire. You look at lives today in need of salvation. We might look at it and say, I don't get the point. I don't get the value of it. But that which was lost, it's God's desire that it would become found. And so, in fact, you could come to the 15th chapter and the last half of it, 
from verses, I think it's maybe 16 through 31, something of that nature. You have the parable of the lost son. And really there are, in one respect, two lost sons that are there. One by rebellion and one by complacency. One in which that has taken of his earthly possessions at the appointed time and he had taken all the blessings of his father and he had gone out and he had lived a life of wickedness and diabolical evil and yet upon the scripture says coming to himself he returned into his father. And his father straightway met him halfway and hugged him and clothed him and sat him at the table and had the fatted calf killed for his son that once was away has returned. And then you've got that other son. and He's complacent you see. He's disappointed at his father's care for him. I no doubt think that the parable is clearly uh, relevant or uh, pointed to those that heard it originally. You see, the Pharisees had thought of themselves. They were the elder son. They had stayed with things, as it were. But they were so cold and complacent towards those that were without looking at that that was their brother in humanity's sake, now returning him to Christ, now coming to him, how cold they were indeed to him. Many things in the scriptures you could talk about, small things, lost things. But this morning I want to talk about another thing. I want to refer to it as wasted things. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, if you will, and drop your eyes down to verse number 9. Proverbs 18 and verse 9. Hey, read the Proverbs. They're written in chapter 1 as dark sayings. And they give general truths that can be applied and should be considered throughout all life. You could do far less for your day than you could if you could just spend some time each day in the Proverbs shaping your mind to consider the truths and wisdom that heretofore are given. But note, if you will, in Proverbs 18 and verse 9, He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a what? Great waster. Now, I'm not speaking of this message this morning because it is the Sunday before Black Friday. That has nothing to do with this decision. But I would note we live in a society that is so wasteful. Now, I, I know some of us may be skin flinch, you know, and have the idea of saving stuff that we don't necessarily need to save. But the reality is our society really is a disposable society. There's always another one. If your car needs to be replaced, there's always another car. If your stuff gets worn out, there's always more stuff. In fact, I have no doubt that that seems to be, whether we like it or not, that is the environment in which we interact. This word waste here, particularly in this usage, waster, it has the idea of that which discards things of value. Uh, you know, you, you think of someone that's at a work site. They want to be very careful how they install things or how they wire things or how they construct things. They want to get that great balance between efficiency of getting the job done and yet at the same time, cost efficiency of doing it for the least amount of opportunity, not wasting material simply for the essence of wasting material. So sometimes looking at waste, you can look at it one that discards things of value. But in a biblical view, the biblical word of waster is a little bit more pointed. Let me give you it. Give it by recommending you some synonyms, some similar words. 
In fact, these are words used elsewhere in the scriptures for this very word. The biblical word waster, you could look at as a destroyer. You could look at it as a spoiler. You could look at it as a corrupter. In fact, in, in a military sense, this word waster has the idea of a military conqueror. The thought would be a foreign foe that has come in and ravished the treasures of his most recent foe, conquerors. He has laid waste to the city. It's not unlike what you find in the book of Daniel uh, and even in Jeremiah where Nebuchadnezzar has come in. Uh, Habakkuk mentions this as well. He's come in and he's begun to surround the city and he's destroyed all the fence cities. And the last one was uh, Jerusalem. And after approximately three years, he now has broken down and entered the wall and he now is going to lay waste to the temple. Out of what remains of its gold and silver, he's going to extract. He's going to take up all the vessels of good and he's going to take them back to the land of his kingdom, Babylon. It could be said of him that he was a great waster. Yet there are many things in our life specific to believers that are extremely valuable, yet we also so often fall in the trap of spoiling things, allowing them to come to ruin. Yea, it could be said of us as even Christians that we look at some things in life and we are great wasters. Let me give you a couple of faults about this word. I think in Hebrews, or rather, not Hebrews, I'll get to that in just a moment, but Deuteronomy chapter 4. Listen, listen to this. This is what the scripture says. Lest, talking about the Israelites of days gone by, lest you corrupt yourselves. The idea of that word corrupt, you've wasted yourselves. You've corrupted yourselves. How? And make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure. What happened? They wasted the relationship that they could have with Jehovah God for they had corrupted themselves with idolatry. You would look at them and you could describe what they did in the building of idols and you could say that they had wasted opportunity. They had wasted relationships. They had wasted their life. They had corrupted themselves. Many chapters later in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, this is themed as the sin of Uzziah. Uzziah was a good king. In fact, God had mercy on Uzziah in a unique fashion, but he also judged him in a very harsh way. And that was because Uzziah was a good king, but he erred before the holy king of God. Listen to this, uh, 2 Chronicles 26, the sin of Uzziah. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God, and he went into the temple of the Lord and burned incense upon the altar of incense. The idea there, he transgressed. He corrupted himself. He knew what he was doing was wrong, he knew that he shouldn't do it, but he was lifted up in pride. And that action, he wasted opportunities. <clears throat> when we think of this word waster, we could look at Psalm 14, Psalm 53, the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. That's a distinguishing mark between a believer 
and one that refused to believe the God of heaven, their creator. What's the distinction? One is wasting the opportunities that that God affords them at this very moment. They are corrupt. This word waster, whether it be corrupt or destroy, is used many times in the book of Proverbs. For instance, in chapter 6 and verse 32, and note this one. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it destroyeth. Same word as waster. If you will, he's wasted his own soul. Why? Because judgment will come. And he caused this judgment to come upon himself. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 9. A hypocrite with his own mouth destroyeth his neighbor. Interesting thought. It's the same idea of wasting or corrupting. Because of what I've done with my lips, I'm a hypocrite. I've said one thing. I've behaved in another way. I am two-faced. I have destroyed the opportunities that I could have otherwise had with a neighbor that gets the opportunity to observe me. Proverbs chapter 20 and 25, verse 26. A righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain, and here's our word, a corrupt spring. That last phrase bothers me a little bit. A corrupt spring. A wasted spring. I saw this week a fellow posted something and tagged it to me. I thought it was fun. I might have sent it to somebody. But a little elementary class, and the heading of it said that the Lord had talked about giving even a cold drink of water. And here comes this little gal with a little cold drink of water, and she's giving it to all these little folks in her class. They were all the little boys, and they're all drinking it. And she'd come back in another one, and it looks like she's doing so good. And at the end of the little clip, you see she's going into the bathroom. She's dipping it out of the toilet. And, it, yeah, a corrupt spring, you know. How awful that would be that you would see something, and it looks as though it could be something that would bring refreshment, but it's corrupted. It's corrupted. You would look at that and say it's a wasted opportunity. It's a wasted gift from God. Not that he wasted it, but we did. So many times in scriptures that you could look at these. Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 11 mentions all of these in essence. They're throughout, plethora, replete throughout the scriptures. There are so many things speaking from our experience as believers that God has given us opportunities, gifts, etc. that we so often stand ready and waste. Let me give you one of them. I think about wasted time. Wasted time. The 9th Psalms, a great passage on this. Verses 9 through 11, he speaks of this. You're in Proverbs. Flip, flip over. We're not that far from Psalm. Look, look over in Psalm 90. Not, not that it matters how close we are to it. But if, if you're back over in James, just close your Bible a minute and open up about the center of your Bible. You'll come into Psalm, Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is going to do much as it deals uh, with humanity and the essence of what overlaps from beginning to end. And I want to draw your attention to these verses. Note this, verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is... Told. That's a Hebrewism. I, I was speaking to someone the other week, and I've known them for a long time, and they're getting up in age. 
And so as circumstances come, their experiences in life do not come as quickly as they used to come. Do you know what happens? They'll say, that reminds me about the time, and they'll lay out a story that I could tell for them. That's what he's talking about. A tale that is told. He goes on in verse number 10, the days of our years are threescore years. Ten, if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength and labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. What about the brevity of life? You know, we're thousands of years, maybe, maybe two, three thousand years or so removed from when this is penned. And guess what? Life expectancy still 70, 80 years. You'd think humanity would learn how to better use their time. How to maximize all that we have in this life. Because you know what? James said of it this way. It's short. It appeareth for a little time, and then what does it do? It passes away. I think of other verses. I think of Ephesians chapter 5, where it admonishes us, redeeming the time because the days are 34th Psalm, or 39th Psalm, verse 4 and 5. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Wasted time. You know, I think someone once said that it's such a shame that youth is wasted on the young. You ever heard an expression like that? There's a level of truth to it. Because just as you've grown in life to recognize how short your life is, just when you've grown to get some wisdom and sensibility about you, you realize that the physical abilities that you once have have passed away. You know what else you recognize? That those years prior to your awakening into wisdom, I'll call it, or yielding to, uh, to, to wisdom, they've passed and you can't go back and undo the things that you did prior to. And you've got to live with the consequences of all those decisions you made. Now, I'm not going to have a show of hands. But many a teenager and 20 and 30-year-old, especially, has ruined their life because of the decisions they've made. It's tantamount to a runner that's barely able to get off the blocks in the race. They may be able to finish but they'll never finish to the ability that they ought to have finished because they wasted valuable years. Let me give you some things. You, you could really call this how to ruin or waste your life in your youth. Let me just give you a half dozen things here quick. I'm not going to hone in on them. Here are just some mottos to adapt to your life in youth if you want to waste your life, particularly your youth. Number one, develop the attitude of doing whatever you want to do. Let that be your golden standard. I'm going to do what I want to do. Drive that home in your teenage years. Embrace that in your 20s, and I promise you, you'll rue the day in your 30s and 40s. But many a young person sets their heart I'm going to do what I want to do. Proverbs says this, only a fool seeketh to discover his own heart. Why? Because it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Here's another one. 
live beyond your abilities. I remember shortly after I got married, we went through premarital counseling. I had to go through pastoral counseling because I was in the ministry and I was marrying someone. We were going to be serving together, so I had to meet for pastoral counseling. I had all this counseling. And then my parents gave me counseling. But I remember some that my mother gave me. It was right before I got married. She had visited. We were engaged. She said, Liz, I want to tell you something. She said, it bothers me, and I'm not going to say another thing to you about it. She said, you do wise to listen to me. I said, all right. Don't try to have everything that your dad and I have or that your Valerie's parents have right away. Don't try to take and have everything that it took them 20 and 30 years of life to have and have it in your life. And my answer to her was, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, it didn't take long and I realized what she's talking about. And if you go out there, you can always get it. You can swipe that card. You can do, but you'll rue the day, and you've got to live with that. And you know what lasts long than finance furniture? Credit card debt to get it. That's what lasts longer. <laughs> Give you another one, feed an addiction. Allow bad habits to be ingratiated in your life and constantly feed them. You'll rue the day. Here's another one. Live for the now. Live for the now. Take no thought of the morrow. Even the ants that live out in the wild take thought for tomorrow. The things they do today, they do for tomorrow. Also, we ought to do. Now, I cannot be worried about tomorrow, but as I plan and pursue, there ought to be some awareness, some sensibility for knowledge of tomorrow. I'll give you two more. Associate with foolish company. He that walketh with foolish should be foolish. He that walketh with wise will be wise. 1 Corinthians 15. Be not deceived. Evil communications, there's our word, isn't it? Corrupt, waste, good manners. Go hang out with the wrong type of people. It's something I smile at today, but it amazes me that 20-year-olds and teenagers, 30 years old and 40 years old, often go to their peers for wisdom. Isn't that interesting? Teenager going to other teenagers trying to get wisdom on what to do. That's funny. And you may not think it is, but it really is funny. It's kind of like unmarried people going to other unmarried people on advice on how to sustain a marriage. Associate with foolish people. Here's another one. Don't waste your life. Talk about wasting time. Set up to have no accountability in life. I'm being my own man. In the will of God, there's always accountability. No man's an island to himself. Wasted time. As short as life is, we make it still shorter by the careless waste of times. I'll give you a second one. There's wasted time, but there's wasted effort. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, listen to these words. 
whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Now that's not entirely from the essence of a biblical worldview. When Solomon's writing, this is practical as well. He's saying, whatever you have to do, do it to the best of your ability because the day is going to come when you can't do anything at all. So therefore, leave a legacy of giving your all to accomplish a task. If you're going to build a wall, Nehemiah, build the biggest and the best wall you can be because the day's going to come where you can't build a wall. And a few chapters later, he's going to talk about uh, the coming years of old age where your teeth didn't work and your eyes can't see anymore. So if you're going to invest in something, do your absolute greatest. In a practical sense, that can be referred to, you know, you think of education. Oh, that I could go back to high school and junior high when I had people that literally had given their lives for instruction. And I gave him a hard time about it. Remember my math teacher, he just retired, 50 years. 50 years. And I remember day one in his class. Why do I have to do this? And his constant prodding, do your best. Do you, one day, one day you'll wish you did better. No, I'm no algebra teacher. But see, that habit wasn't just there in that class, it was in every other class. Do your best. Why? It's an effort, it's an opportunity God's given you. One day you're not going to have this opportunity. From a practical point of view, it's important, regardless of salvation, to do all that you have to make foolproof where you're at in life because the day's going to come where you will not have that opportunity anymore. You got instrument lessons? Mom and Dad have to pound you about keeping on them. One day you won't have that opportunity. That's what Solomon here is talking about. Listen to the New Testament. And this is moving beyond just the practical to the spiritual. Colossians chapter 3. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Do you remember the phrase? Okay, now I've got a new standard. I'm not just doing it because one day I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm doing it for the sake of being able to be a testimony of Jesus Christ and to follow him. I'm to do it heartily. Everything I do. If I'm a sweet floors, if I'm a clean toilets, if I'm to be a good husband, if I'm to be a good dad, everything I do, why? Because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Honing into that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit. The idea of fervent in spirit has the idea to boil over. A zeal about it. Give yourself to it. Why? Because we're serving the Lord. There's wasted time. There's wasted effort. I think of a third wasted things. We've got wasted actions. Ephesians chapter 5, the theme there, walking so many times. He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Reprove, it has the idea of telling a fault. Standing for truth, if you will. Verse number 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. As a believer, God's called me to a certain action in life on how I'm going to live my life. In fact, you can qualify that in Romans chapter 12. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the 
And that mercy is of God. That's everything from chapter 1 clear on into chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 1. If any man be in Christ, that's uh, Corinthians, but uh, chapter 8 and verse 1, he talks about there is therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. I have the indwelling of the Spirit of God, Romans chapter 8. You trace that all the way back to the fact in chapter 3 and 4, by faith I have been removed, I have been freed from the sin debt that was placed upon me because of my birth and because of my inheritance of this nature and because of my fidelity to that nature. That's the tender mercies. So in chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the tender mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And now he's going to deal with those actions. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. A lot of wasted effort in life. Too often in the Christian life, the theme really is, how conformed to the world can I be? Too often in the Christian life we say, well, I don't want to be the weirdo. I don't want people to look at me and to think of me that I'm too carried away about spiritual things. We ought to be more concerned about the actions that Christ Jesus would want from us. I ought to be more concerned about living a life that pleases Him. Because I can tell you this, rare will it ever be in the human existence where I will stand and give an account to men for the actions. They really don't care about my actions, especially this world system. Oh, they might care what I say. They might care in the sense of I'm doing things that they're opposed to or not doing things that they're for. But in a grand sense, I'm nobody in this world system. But one day I'm going to stand and give an account to Jesus Christ. I'm going to give an account to how I have led my life whether it be good or evil, of how I have dictated the course of events, how I've plotted on for Him. I'm going to give an account for that. Every one of us. And he'll look at all the actions of life and they'll be meted out as whether it's wood, hay, or stubble. And that day, I won't care who Hollywood was. That day, I'll be face to face with a Redeemer that has loved me and given himself for me. Wasted actions. Be not conformed to this world. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 about halfway through verse 1, he says, Lay aside every weight and the sin, definitive article, which so easily beset us. What is he saying? There's a lot of actions we take in life that are just wasted. And they're weighting us down. And by our choices, we have chosen to corrupt ourselves and to waste the opportunities that before us in engaging in actions that are not furthering the cause of Christ. In fact, they're corrupting the testimony that I ought to have in Christ. Wasted time, wasted efforts, wasted actions. Let me give you one last one. Look in James chapter 1. And we'll call this one wasted truth. Wasted truth. James, in particular in chapter 1, gives insight ultimately in chapter 1 and chapter 3 to the wisdom that only God can give. In fact, in the end of chapter 3, it's declinated between an earthly wisdom and a heavenly wisdom, the end of James chapter 3. He speaks of this wisdom uh, in verse number 15, the wisdom that descendeth not from above, and he identifies it as being earthly, sensual, and devilish. Earthly, sensual, and devilish. It is motivated by bitter envy, 
It is agonizing through strife and contention. This is what earthly wisdom is. And then highlighting what wisdom is from above is, he calls it first pure, secondarily peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good works, or fruits rather, without partiality and without hypocrisy. He identifies these a little bit. And asking of wisdom in James chapter 1 and verse 5, he said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberty to all men, and abradeth not. So then we come to the end of chapter 1 and note this. He says in verse 21, Wherefore lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That phrase, superfluity of naughtiness, is worth us highlighting just for a moment. Superfluity, ready? It means extra. In fact, it means more than extra. It means a lot extra. Superfluity has the idea, since I know lunch is coming and you want me to mention it so you think about it, it's kind of like if you were preparing for seven adults to come over for barbecue, and then all of a sudden six of them canceled, but you already had the meal for seven, and at the best of your attempts, what have you got? A lot of leftovers for the week. Superfluity. When he speaks of superfluity and naughtiness, he's saying, he's saying God saved you and he cleansed you. It is that leftover remnants that have existed those things that you have not yet turned from, those things that are still holding, those sins that are so easily besetting you, those extra things, if you will. It isn't that God's grace or His mercy has not had the ability and the saving grace to purge them, but you have not let them go. He tells them to lay it all aside. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. It may be able to save your souls. Verse number 22, But ye... But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers, deceiving your own self. And I want you to notice these next two verses. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. What happened? Here's the engrafted word. That word engrafted, it, it, it begs with it an agricultural expression. There's something that is prepared and ready, and it's going to bring forth a fruit in your life. And the hindrance of that fruit, what keeps that fruit from coming in your spiritual life, is you wasted the truth. You know, we think about our preaching conference just concluding, really. All the messages preached, all the scriptures quoted. Walk away, boy, that, that was great. Those many decisions that the Lord, or thoughts the Lord brought to my mind, decisions I need to make. How long until we forget them? We come week in, week out to church, preach, preaches. We sing, there's a teacher that teaches. And we go out the door and we're not a doer. Wasted truth. In fact, as you consider all these wasted things, wasted truth is the worst one. Because if you're adhering to truth, you won't waste time. You won't have wasted effort, and you won't have wasted action. But wasted truth is so casual, we think there'll always be another message. There'll always be another conviction of the Spirit of God There'll always be another time that I can look into the Bible 
There'll always be another time that I can hear preaching of the Word of God. Always another time to go to church. Always another time. And we fail to realize that this might be the time that God ceases in convicting us specifically about something. This might be the time that if we don't heed, God's going to be grieved in His Spirit towards us. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Sometimes we are awful wasteful with the truths of God's Word. You know, worse yet than just wasting them. When I think of the text, the question would beg, why is truth wasted? How does one go about actually wasting truth? Well, I think he gives three things here. The first of those is sometimes truth is wasted when we are, note the end of verse 22, deceiving our own selves. That word deceive, it has the idea of to be deluded, to be beguiled, to be misreckoned. We got it all wrong. A preacher can preach on something. The Holy Spirit of God impressed by application upon our heart or through revelation of the Scripture, we're holding the revealed Word and we say, boy, that sure is a good message for Brother Caleb. I'm sure he needed that. That sure is a good message for this brother over here. I know he needed Did you hear that part? Did you hear that part of the message where he said, and you know that's his sin. And don't get me started on her. Well, what about the guy sitting in your seat? Take a great way to hear preaching. Is to say, Lord, what would you have me do? What about your decisions? We miss a lot of truth thinking about where everybody else is. Wondering if everybody else's telephone is ringing, and I'm not talking about a device. I'm using that as a figure of speech. Wonder if God is talking to everybody else. What happened? We have deceived our own self. Old Scottish preacher used to call them sermon tasters. That's what he called them. What do you mean? A preacher get up here and the more he gets lathered up and preaches and carries about, we say that's a great message and we walked out the door and we tasted enough to know that it was truth coming and oh, it was great and it was encouraging, but it wasn't applicable to our life. It just went away. The taste didn't do anything for us. Kind of like going out for lunch again and just tasting something is not the same thing as feasting, is it? A lot of folks just taste messages. Mentally, we fast forward through the part that we need because it's not really us that needed it. Our body is present but our mind is not engaged. We've deceived our own self. Why is it sometimes truth is wasted deception? I think another time is found, note here in verse 24. It's interesting, he talks about this man beholding himself, he goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. Back in biblical times, you wanted to have a mirror, they didn't quite have what we have today, but they'd have a polished piece of bronze. And just looking at it, you couldn't really get a great reflection. So to get a true reflection, you needed great light coming in and have turned that bronze uh, uh, mirror at just the right way and you could see what you needed to see. You get a pretty good image of what you were looking at. And the idea you've done all that work, you've looked at it, you've tossed the mirror piece down and you've walked away and forgot completely what you saw. 
Notice there, you find the word straightway. You find it mentioned throughout. It's, it's, it's a very Roman-type expression. Uh, Gospel of Mark is full of straightways. Straight, I mean, just immediately. It's the idea. Second way we waste truth is we're forgetful. That word forgetful, it has the idea to lose out of mind. A dim, distorted view with no application of the truth. We forget. Now, I'm not going to give you a hand raise. And it's not fair for you to compare yourself to me because I had to upload all these messages within the last 24 hours. I can tell you every message that is preached this week. And I told you why. But I wonder if you look back. If the Lord allowed you to be at all these meetings, what do you remember? You ever sat in a place, 30 minutes, the preacher's going on? He had an outline, and you can't remember a thing he said? Straightway forgiving. That's why during the conference every night, bulletins, sermon note bulletins here, notes out there, use these forms, take notes, take notes, take notes. Why? Because there is a natural proclivity to... You know how I know that? Because I forget all the time. All the time. Especially the things that are important to other people. We waste a lot of truth when we forget. Time won't allow us, but if you go over to Peter, the theme of Peter, 1 Peter is suffering, and he uses a common word, remember. Jude, 22 through 25, remember, remember, remember. Put them in mind, Peter says. Why? Because there's a natural proclivity to forget. You know, you think about how great we could be in fashion like in Christ if we could remember every sermon that was ever preached to us and have applied and never forget the application. We really, we'd be dedicated holy children of God, wouldn't we? We waste truth for we forget. Notice the third one here. Verse 25, but whoso looking at the perfect law of liberty and continueth, continual expression therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed. I think a third reason why we, way we waste truth is we don't continue in it. Or continue, it has the idea of staying near, being permanent. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, always abounding in the work of the Lord. John chapter 15, if any man abide in me and my words abide in him, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. We don't continue. We don't embrace the truths of the word of God. We don't renew our mind. We don't dedicate ourselves and consecrate ourselves. We don't, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, present our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable duty. What a terrible travesty that we have had the Word of God. What a terrible travesty that we heard the Word of God. That we have held the Word of God. And yet, to have wasted it. All or most of its truth having descended off of our ears will never make it into the depository of our heart. We never allow it to become engrafted into our life. 
Therefore, it never yields the fruit in our life. We wasted truth. And because we wasted truth, our time, our actions, and our efforts will diminish the spiritual harvest of what could have been wasted. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.